I'm Mario Munoz reporting for The Real Grande Guardian. This past Friday, a forum on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement was held at the FAR Event Center. The event included a local perspective with Ralph Cowan of the Port of Brownsville, Luis Bassan, the FAR International Bridge, and Keith Patridge of McAllen EDC. To cap the USMCA forum, U.S. Senator John Cornyn and U.S. Congressman Hendrik Cuellar held a question-and-answer session. Sergio Contreras of the RGV Partnership opened the event. Well, good morning, everyone. Buenos dias and happy Friday. Wanted to make sure we got a little bit of thunderstruck, a little ACDC to get us going, getting us ready for Saturday. Right, Commissioner Carrillo? I'm Sergio Contreras with the Rio Grande Valley Partnership on behalf of the Board of Directors of the Rio Grande Valley Partnership and Futuro RGV, Nedra. I know you're out there. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Well, we have a great lineup of speakers, and we are very excited that you'll hear from uh, folks that are in the forefront of international trade. So we know that you're going to learn something today. So today's uh, meal is provided by our sponsors. However, before we begin with our sponsors, I'm going to uh, dive in a little bit more into the program. So at this point, please stand and remain standing for the invocation to then be followed by the Pledge of Allegiance. Today's invocation will be led by Roxanne Ray, President and CEO of South Padre Island Chamber of Commerce. Please bow your heads and join me in prayer. As we come together with grateful hearts, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to gather for the benefit of our region, our state, and our great country. We are thankful for the commitment of our leaders and our guests here today. Lord, we ask you to bless our nation's leaders with wisdom and courage. We ask you to keep safe all of our law enforcement and our nation's military as they serve and protect us each day. Lord, we also ask you to lift up and have mercy on our brothers and sisters in Florida as they face Hurricane Dorian. Lord, today we pledge to renew our commitment to you and to our country. We ask you for your guidance to lead meaningful lives in both our business and personal endeavors, lives rich in integrity and with respect for one another. Lord, bless this food for the nourishment of our bodies. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Roxanne. We sure do love South Padre Island. Spring Break 91. <laughs> Dalinda Guillen, Executive Director of the Rugby City Economic Development Corporation, will lead us in the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you, Sergio. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you, Galinda. You may be seated, please. And congratulations on the great work you guys are doing in the city of uh, Rugana City, uh, especially the upcoming projects that will take up about 150 acres. As we all know, that is a whole lot of economic development. Up front, we have three tables. Uh, one of them belongs to ACT, asking you to register to vote. If you haven't done so, please do so at the end of the program. 
We also have a table from Pluto RGB advocating for better quality of life. And then we also have the U.S. Census. Make sure you get counted. I know Judge Cortez is here with us and wants to ensure that you are well aware that you need to be counted. So please ensure that you go through the process. To our sponsors, I want to say thank you to A Media. Please hold your applause to the end. IBC Bank, Pathfinder Public Affairs, the City of Far, Cameron County RMA, Regional Mobility Authority, DHR Health, Lone Star National Bank, the Harlingen Chamber of Commerce, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, UTRGV, Mel Hart, Sanco Capital, and hosted today by the RGV Partnership and also Futuro RGV. I want to thank you so much. I want to point out something before we begin the program. Governor Abbott stated that our unemployment rate, rate was close to 22%. Now, fast, that was before NAFTA. Now, fast forward to today. Some of, you, some of our cities are between 4 to 7%. Now, Judge Cortez, you know numbers very well, Judge, and those numbers are state, that I just stated are very significant. According to a study commissioned by our friends here at IBC Bank through Dr. Ray Perryman, in 1993, the year before NAFTA went into effect, total trade between the U.S. and Mexico was at about $81 billion. Now, Victor Perez, this is this number. In 2018, the study finds, now jump forward to 2018, the study finds that it jumped from $81 billion to $611 billion. Now, the Villarreal brothers, the twin brothers at IBC Bank certainly know that this equals to six, a 650% increase. And again, that goes to trade. We all know that there are many other factors and industries that drive our economy, from healthcare, retail, construction, transportation, banking, and many others. Let's look at some of those other areas that we see as an impact on our region. We're going to take a, a, a dive into a video that I know Robbie will help me uh, direct here in the back. It was a video produced by the Lower Rio Grande Development Council, and we want to thank Ron Garza and the audience, their executive director, for this initiative. It's a live and living program called Explore RGV. You have, you have hard copies of the magazine on your seat. Some of you have already seen the video during our trip to Austin recently this past session. Uh, I've seen it a couple of times. It's a great video, so please take a look. No video. We will continue with the video later. Help me welcome Senator Juan Chuyinojosa. Senator Juan Chuyinojosa here in the front desk, front table. We also have Senator Eddie Lucio, Judge Cortez. Thank you for joining us. County Judge Richard Cortez and many other elected that are out in the community that are here with us today. Thank you so much. We'll now have a presentation on NAFTA and USMCA by Dr. Salvador Contreras with UTRGV. He will highlight the transition from NAFTA to where we are today and what is next and what is being proposed by USMCA. Salvador Contreras is an Associate Professor for Economics and Director of the Center for Border Economic Studies at UTRGV. He received his PhD from uh, Claremont Graduate University. He serves as Director of the Center for Border Economics 
At the center, Salvador has turned his attention to the study of Texas-Mexico border region, producing research that focuses on education, commerce, labor, and more for the region. And by the way, he was my professor one time. We are not related, and I did get the highest A a student can get. So thank you, Dr. Contreras. Can you please join us at the front? Uh, thank you, Sergio. Um, I just want to say that I did talk to the registrar's office, see if they, I can give him a higher grade. It was not possible. So I'm going to stand in the, here in the middle simply because I, I'm going to mess up my neck if I try to look at the, project, uh, at the screens. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a brief presentation just to bring us all to the same page uh, when it comes to NAFTA in the region. So I'll talk about the co-evolution uh, evolution of the RGV's economy and that of trade with Mexico. I will talk about NAFTA and what's new with this USMCA. I'll talk about what's at stake for the region if no deal were, uh, were to be eventually ratified and we were to walk away from NAFTA. And then we'll open it up to our panel discussion. Uh, three uh, very exciting local leaders who will tell us about how they've seen the transformation of the region over the past 25 years. Okay, so first let's talk about the co-evolution. So just to echo some of the numbers that uh, Sergio uh, gave to us, you'll notice that in 1994, so a year after the number that Sergio gave us, total trade between the U.S. and Mexico stood about $100 billion. And in 2018, that number was two, uh, $600 billion, $611 billion. That is a six-fold increase in total trade between Mexico and the United States. The Ladero District is the line on the bottom so Laredo District will go anywhere from, uh, will cover areas from uh, Cameron County to Webb County. And we can see during the same period of time, total trade increased by some $46 billion to, uh, I can't even see it, $317 billion. What I want to point out here is that Laredo, the Laredo District, the district in which we're in, accounts for half of all trade that happens between Mexico and the United States. Clearly, this area has somehow been impacted by the amount of growth in trade that we have seen over the past 25 years. If we look at some of the, uh, some statistics about the economy in the region, we can see that during that period of time, employment uh, uh, quadrupled during this, uh, that time from 1994 to 2018, uh, employment went from 200,000 to some 400, actually this is personal income. Personal income increased from $9 billion to some $34 billion, increasing some four times in the region. Total employment increased by uh, a double from 200,000 to some 400,000 over the, over the, over the 1994-2018 period. As Sergio pointed out, the unemployment rate in 1994 was roughly about close to 20%. The unemployment rate in 2018 in the region was stood uh, a little bit under uh, 6.5%. That's a decrease of 62% of the unemployment rate in our local region. We also see that it, wages have increased. The income of the 90th percentile has seen an increase in wages in Hidalgo County by about 20% uh, from 2005 to 2017. And the median worker, uh, the median income worker, those are the 50th percentile, have seen wages increase by about 25%. This growth and economic activity in the region has had some positive 
spillover effects, particularly when it comes to poverty rates in the region. We have seen poverty rates in Hidalgo County decrease from 36% in 2000 to 2% and uh, in 2017, Cameron County has roughly the same uh, poverty rate. So what have been some of these sectors that have led to this growth? So the picture on the right side, although it's small numbers, I apologize for that, has selected sectors of GDP for the region. So this is Cameron County plus Hidalgo County. And what you can see here is that the top sector is wholesale trade, and it has grown by 233% from 2000 to 2017. The second two, uh, second two sectors are education and healthcare. Clearly a region that has grown both in terms of economic might and population have also needed to see services uh, to go along with that growth. Overall, the number on the very bottom says that GDP in the region increased by 120% from 2000 to 2017. So what can we expect or what do we expect from NAFTA, the changes in NAFTA. Let's stand over here. <laughs> so some, some of the, uh, let me highlight some of the major changes. Uh, there's many changes, but I'll just highlight a few of these to bring us all up to speed. So one of the issues and contentions was the uh, amount of uh, auto sector content, of, of North American main auto sec sector content. So that has been uh, increased from 62.5 to 75%. There is now a a 40% auto and 45% light auto production by workers earning at least $16 an hour by the year 2023. It expands access to the dairy uh, market in Canada to 3.6%. It extends copyright life of authors after death to 70 years. And it also increases quotas from 1.8 million to 2.6 million on uh, vehicles imported. It also sets quotas of $32 million from Canada and $108 million, uh, billion from Mexico quota on imported auto parts. It extends patents uh, to 10 years for uh, pharmaceuticals. And more importantly, it establishes a digital trade freedom protection. So Mexico can't tell Facebook, hey, I want you to open up a warehouse where you store data on Mexicans in Mexico. So this prevents uh, countries from unilaterally asking uh, for these uh, types of uh, services. It also sets a 16-year sunset provision. <coughs> However, not all, uh, not all everything is great. Some people uh, see some weaknesses in the, uh, in the current bill, uh, the current agreement as it stands. Among the biggest issues of con uh, contention is the uh, USMCA carries most of the Chapter 20 of NAFTA dispute mechanism. And so part of the problem that occurred during NAFTA was that it was very hard for any country to bring a dispute forward because there was no standing panels that would hear these uh, cases. The last time this was brought up was in 1998 when Mexico was claiming that the US was prevented to access the sugar market in, uh, and nothing, uh, eventually Mexico gave up on the, on the ordeal. There's also an enforcement of labor and environmental protections uh, within, within the, the new agreement. However, there's, uh, there's, uh, there are those who claim that there is no enforcement mechanisms to force any country uh, to abide by these, by these new labor uh, standards. Canada continues to maintain a supply chain management system for the dairy sector 
and it does very little to address the powers that the U.S. have under uh, Section 232. So the United States, at the end of the year or early next year, can say the auto sector is a, a vital national uh, security uh, interest, and we're going to levy tariffs on automobiles. Now, Canada and Mexico and the United States enter into an agreement into some sort of quota system in case something like this were to take place, but this doesn't prevent other, other goods. Again, we can recall most recently steel and aluminum tariffs. So what's a stake? Uh, what's a stake for the region? So, again, it's very hard to come up with the with a counterfactual, we don't, we, don't, we don't know what the world would, would have liked without, uh, would have been like without trade happening. But there are some who have produced some estimates of what the impact would be if the United States were to, for example, uh, exit, exit NAFTA without a, uh, a replacement. Among the estimates are, hello, hello. Among the estimates are that uh, 187,000 jobs, uh, exporting jobs will be lost that the U.S. would have some 300,000 fewer jobs at the end of the year in which we uh, exit the trade deal, that U.S. businesses and farmers would face some $16 billion in additional costs due to tariffs, and consumers would face some additional $7 billion. Uh, billion. Uh, it is hard to say what the impact would be in the region, but there is some work there that suggests that the economies of the, uh, of the Rio Grande Valley and that of uh, uh, Tamaulipas are interconnected, so uh, one particular study shows that a 10% increase in employment in the Maquila sector in Reynosa has a 6.6% increase in employment in Reynosa, so we can just extrapolate what, what a uh, leaving the NAFTA agreement behind and having no replacement may have on the Maquila sector and therefore employment on this side of the border. It's estimated that some 910,000 jobs are supported by exports and that some $5 million, uh, some Five million jobs are somehow directly or indirectly tied to trade with Mexico. I will, I will leave you with this last picture. I will leave you with this last picture. It's, uh, it's, it, it's a couple of years old, but I think it's, uh, it's instructive. It's an article that came out in Bloomberg, and it showed the journey of a capacitor. It's a little cylinder that, uh, with a couple of little legs that goes into circuit boards. And in this particular example, in this particular example, the capacitor is bought by a company in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's shipped to Colorado to a uh, supplier. The supplier ships this capacitor to El Paso. And in El Paso, this, this capacitor goes into a circuit board. The circuit board then moves to, uh, to uh, it goes from, sorry, from Colorado to uh, Juarez, from Juarez to El Paso. And then the circuit board moves to Matamoros, where the circuit board is implanted in a car seat that allows the car to move, uh, the seat to move back, uh, back and forth. The seat is then shipped to Arlington, where it goes into uh, uh, Escalades, Tahoes, Yukons, or it moves to the uh, suburbs of Toronto, where it goes into the Fort Flex. The point of this uh, image is to show that this is one component of tens of thousands of components that go into the manufacturing of a given car, and many of these components go back and forth across the border and a large number of times. So trade is actually a quite complex, uh, a complex mechanism and it's not just the finished good moving back, uh, back and forth across the border. So with that, I would like to uh, invite our panelists to come and join me. I'll uh, invite each one at a time. So let me begin with Luis Bassan, who is the director of the Far International Bridge. If you can probably welcome him.
I would also like to invite Ralph Cohen with uh, Commissioner uh, Port of Brownsville. And I also like to invite Keith Patrick, uh, President and CEO of the Economic Development Corporation. Some of the statistics that I brought up, so we want to get a little bit uh, deeper sense of what's uh, of what's going on uh, as, as far as have you seen uh, growth and trade affecting our region. There's microphones uh, on. Uh, there's another microphone. Back here. Another microphone back here. All right, so before <laughs> yeah, we're good. All right, so before we start, I'd like to give each of you a few minutes to tell us about your organization and highlight some existing upcoming initiatives as they relate to trade. So we'll start in alphabetical order, so we'll begin with Luis. Look at me, right? Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Luis Bassan, uh, director for the FAR International Bridge. I'm excited to be here. It's quite a crowd. Uh, Sergio, congratulations. Uh, congratulations to RGD. Uh, partnership and Futuro McAllen for putting this on. Uh, we appreciate the opportunity. You know, Far International Bridge, uh, currently we're crossing over $35 billion in trade year after year. This was unheard of in the past. If you look 10 years back, you know, we might have been at of, of just a few million dollars. Now, again, $35 billion in trade. That's putting us at the number four uh, border crossing with Mexico, along the border with Mexico. So nationwide, when you're looking at our rankings, uh, where we stand, uh, we're the seventh largest and fastest growing land port of entry in the United States. Uh, currently, this is our third year in a row, uh, number one produce bridge in the region. Uh, that used to be Nogales. Uh, we've taken over that. Uh, again, this is our third year. So we're crossing approximately about 70% of the nation's produce uh, through the Far International Bridge. Uh, number one for avocados. Everybody loves their avocados. Everybody loves their tomato. Everybody loves guacamole. Those are the products that are crossing through this international bridge. Uh, not to mention on the export side, uh, we do have an MOU with the Port of Brownsville. So that's, a, that's allowed us to also bring in one of, our highest, uh, one of our highest exports as of 2017, which is in the uh, uh, sector for uh, uh, energy sector. So you're looking at petroleum gases, natural gas, things of that nature that are going southbound into Mexico through this port of entry. So again, needless to say, you know, the importance of the Far International Bridge for the region, uh, not just for the state, uh, but for also for, at, a, at a global economy. All right, thank you, Luis. Ralph? Good afternoon, everybody, and thank Sergio, and thank all of you all for being here. Uh, my name is Ralph Cowan. I'm a commissioner at the Port of Brownsville. Uh, I've been there now 12 years as a commissioner, and I've learned a lot of things. Uh, but let me tell you a little bit about the Port of Brownsville. It's the only deep water port on the U.S.-Mexico border. It's the closest port to Monterrey, which is the hub 
Uh, we are a transshipment port. Uh, the majority, 95% of everything that comes into the port of Brownsville is transshipped to Mexico. Uh, you were discussing the trucks, but well, we send a thousand trucks a day across the bridges. So that's a significant, of just petroleum products. Uh, we are 109 miles closer than Altanita, and we have an, we have an overweight corridor that allows trucks to load the same limit with the, the load limits that the Mex Mexico has. So consequently, because of the load limits that they're allowed to do on that corridor, they can, every third truck that goes across is basically three. They haul, on two trucks, they haul the cargo of three. And uh, that saves a lot of money on customs brokerage, on bridge freeze, on freight, on everything. So it really makes us very competitive. And being closer, that's our edge, and we've been, we've got our niche, and we've been working on it. And, it's, and I want to thank Senator Lucio, because he is the one that got us that first overweight corridor in the state of Texas. I know there's several of them now coming aboard. It's, that's the thing to do. But we started out with him, and we thank him for doing that, because that really put us, the Port of Brownsville, back in business, really, because we've gone We'd, we'd have a sinking spell. I had NAFTA did it too. Uh, but we are what I call the logical logistics port for a number of companies. We have 230 companies currently that operate at our port. We're home to the second largest foreign trade zone in the U.S. with 3.6 billion in exported cargo. So they rate the foreign trade zones, and we've been in the top three for the last 10 years. And we're very happy that happened, and that's because of our trade with Mexico. Uh, we enjoy the benefits of the newest border rail bridge that crosses into Mexico. Uh, we went from 2008, when I came on, we did 22,000 rail cars this past year, or the last quarter, it, we now on track, well last year we did over 46,000 rail cars crossing. Um, we're the largest land holding port in the United States. We have 40,000 acres of land and 17 miles of waterfront. In other words, basically the park owns all of the land up and down the channel. And we furnish land for East Lanka Park and Boca Chica Beach area over there, and uh, a lot of things for people to do and have uh, recreational. But we're also a major transit point now for massive wind turbine combines that are coming in. You know, the wind mills that we're seeing all over the place, they bring them in the Port of Brownsville. And they're not going to go out of business. They have booked us for the next five years. So we've got the lay, we've got the area to lay down the, the material. Well, uh, that's the, well, the, it seems like the Port of Brownsville does do a, a moves a lot of uh, cargo. Uh, so Keith, uh, oh, wondering if you can also. Yes, yeah. thank, thank you, uh, yeah. I got it. 
Okay, thank you very much uh, for the invitation. I'd like to thank Sergio and the Rio Grande Valley Partnership for the invitation to come today, along with Futuro uh, McAllen. Uh, it's always nice to be able to talk a little bit about what we see happening. Uh, as most of you know, my name's Keith Patridge. I'm the president of McAllen Economic Development and McAllen Foreign Trade Zone. Uh, those two separate corporations, but we deal with trade and we deal with new companies coming in. Over the, I've been here 32 years, so most of you know me and have watched me get gray hair. <laughs> uh, uh, a lot of that's because of, we also have a tendency to work both in Mexico and the U.S. So we're, we've been a little bit unique in that our 31 plus or almost 32 years has been as an international economic development organization. During that time, we brought in, uh, and we keep track of everything, so we brought in, we have brought in 697 companies. What's interesting is almost half and half, half in the U.S., half in Mexico. Uh, we've had 779 expansions, and those companies, all of those companies have, over that period of time, created over 215,000 new jobs uh, in uh, the international metro area here. We've also assisted working with the development community and many of you in this room uh, to uh, help fill over 67 million square feet of industrial space on both sides of the border. So what we have found, and as you heard uh, in the earlier presentation, uh, what uh, the Federal Reserve in a recent study has found that for every 10% uh, increase in output in the Maquilas in Reynosa results in a 6.6% increase in jobs on the U.S. side of the border in the McAllen metro area. So there is, and we recognized that many years ago, that there is a definite connection between the two sides of the border. And uh, so we, uh, we recognize that as the two sides continue to grow, what's good for Mexico is good for the U.S. and what's good for the U.S. is good for Mexico. Uh, what we are seeing is uh, really a, a large opportunity uh, with the USMCA. One of the problems that we have, though, right now is that because we do not or we have not gotten ratification through Congress, uh, everything's frozen. Literally, the companies have projects and they are not moving on them until there gets to be some clarification. And so as we move forward, that is going to be, that is a major issue. I see our congressman just arrived. Uh, congressman Cuellar, thank you for being here. We need you to get Congress to take up USMCA, so thank you. Thank you, Keith. So you've heard from our presentation, uh, statistics speak about the growth of the region. So in 1994, the Rio Grande Valley had half a million people less than it does today. So Ralph, you've been in the forefront of this change. How has NAFTA affected the way you do business at the Port of Brazil? NAFTA, we, we're on the 25th anniversary of NAFTA. I gave you some figures a little earlier, but you know, we just got the, I'll give you some tonnage. We went from about $7.8 million dollars worth of, uh, I was 
of money, I mean, of waterborne cargo, and that number has doubled to more than 24.3 million. During that same period, cargo grew from 4.7 million short tons to 11.3 in 2018. And no other U.S. port rivals our logistics platform in Mexico, so we expect it to continue to increase. Uh, our new economic impact state, uh, report just came in, and it shows the activity. Our economic activity generates three billion dollars annual economic activity to the state of Texas, creates two hundred and one million in local state and federal tax revenues, and supports more than 51,000 jobs across Texas. 8,500 of those jobs are local. These numbers are collected from 2018 data, and they do not measure the impact of our recent investment in, re recent investment in new infrastructure. They do not include the impact that more than $40 billion in potential projects that are on the board and don't include the benefits of the shrimp fishing harbor and uh, other revenues by the, that we get in land leases from 300 uh, leases at the port. Uh, we've got the potential for thousands of jobs in the, in the coming years. The LNGs alone will bring over 8,000 construction jobs. So everybody in the hospitality business, in the restaurant business, in the tire, the car selling, all all aspects, that, that thing is a rising tide that will raise all ships. And uh, then we have a steel mill that's coming and we're getting real close with that. Can't tell you exactly, you know, but those things can unwind because when you're talking about a billion dollars, everybody wants all kinds of things that when they ask for the moon and we try to give them, and they ask for the stars and we try to say, how about the shade of the moon, you know, and we, we work it that way. But we, we're going to, be able to think about this. If they have that, with the ship recycling we have, a ship would sail in, be cut up and recycled, sent over to the steel mill, taken to Keppel Amphels, where they're now making cargo ships. They've got a contract right now. They're building two 700-plus-foot container ships. Those container ships would sail out of here they came in as an old ship, and they went out as a brand new ship. So that, and they're going to be running on LNG, which that technology has been brought into, has been transferred into our region. So there's a lot of things happening, and I mean jobs. Yeah. And you know the the real proof of the pudding is if you drive by Amphels today, the parking lot's full every day <laughs> and then every night. Yeah. So it seems like there's a lot of activity that's happened in the last 25 yes, years sir. in the port of Brownsville. Hey, Luis. Uh, how do you foresee the passage of USMCA affecting the Rio Grande Valley? And do you think USMCA will add to what NAFTA has already done to the region? Well, absolutely. And I think I'd like to start first by saying that, you know, the reason why we're here, as Keith pointed out, is to ensure that the U.S. ratifies uh, the new, the new uh, deal, the new trade deal, USMCA. Uh, if that's what it's going to be called at the end of the day, because nowadays we don't know what things are called and then things changed around, but that's what we're looking at. 
But I mean, definitely, uh, what we're seeing, you know, and also 25 years this year, we start the Far International Bridge was founded on the basis of NAFTA. So in November, that'll be our 25th year anniversary. We started with that. Uh, so you know, when you look at the region, it's made us a more competitive, a bigger, if not the strongest competitor in a global economy. Uh, we haven't just grown in in number of trucks, in number of trade crossings, the 35 billion dollars in trade that I mentioned, we're not, we're not only growing there, we're also growing in retail, we're going in entertainment, the medical industry, education, residential, bank deposits have been up since then. Uh, and again, at the end of the day, you know, it's created jobs. There's naysayers and there's critics out there that will say that it's, we've lost jobs. Yes, we've lost jobs, but we've also gained thousands of jobs. And I think, uh, again, you know, going back to what Keith was talking about, the Economic Development Corporation McAllen has been at the forefront of that for, since it was the McAllen, you know, uh, uh, I forget what it was called, but, you know, I remember they went back at the McAllen Chamber. The, the <laughs> it was a long time ago, so we've all seen growth, and we, that's what, the reason why we're here. Again, you know, um, you know the Federal Bank, uh, Federal Bank uh, of Dallas also indicated that unemployment rates have also gone down. Obviously, back in the day, you, and this was a study that was conducted uh, July of 2018, so not too long ago, you know, our unemployment rate was through the roof, about 18, 19 percent back before NAFTA. Where are we now? We're at about five to six percent. So that's a, a significant, a significant growth there. Uh, so th obviously, again, you know, the patterns, uh, the indicators are all pointing in the right direction. That USMCA for a new NAFTA deal, NAFTA 2.0, will work. And more importantly here in the Rio Grande Valley, I think this is where we've seen the most significant growth. Uh, our numbers speak for themselves. You know, right now we're averaging about 2,500 trucks just northbound. Uh, so we're expecting those numbers to climb. Uh, studies also indicate that produce crossings will, incre will increase in the next three to four years. A study done by the Texas A&M AgriLife Extension by another 40 to 50 percent. That's unheard of. So that's one of the reasons why we also have to be uh, cognizant that investments are the future of our region. And, and I'll get more into that later, but uh, we're all investing for the future. You see new fleet, you see new growth patterns in Mexico, you see just more of that coming through. Uh, so we have to be prepared for all this trade that we're going to see. Uh, regardless of whether we sign it or not, I think the growth is still going to come, but we do need to ratify USMCA. All right, thank you, Luis. Keith, what is your organization doing to prepare for the passage of USMCA? Or for that matter, what can local business and civic leaders do to prepare to take full advantage of the benefits that USMCA promises? Well, I'd like to answer the second part first. <laughs> and that is, you know, one of the things that's going to be really critical with the political environment that we're in right now with elections coming up next year, uh, we got a very short window that we could possibly ratify the USMCA. And if we, so what we need to do as a business community and as individuals is we all need to be contacting our Texas congressional delegation as well as any other people that could encourage our members of Congress to bring the USMCA up for a vote and ratification. Uh, you know, a lot of people say, oh, well, if it doesn't pass, we'll still be operating under NAFTA. And that's true. 
But you also remember that NAFTA has a provision that the president could, with a single letter, uh, pull us out of NAFTA in six months. Now, is he going to do that? I don't think so, because that would result in all kinds of chaos. However, the fact that it can be done, what we're seeing among the companies that we're working every day is they have projects that they are wanting to move forward with, but because of that uncertainty, they are frozen. They are frozen in time, and they aren't moving until there is something happens with USMCA. And so that is extremely important that we work on, on encouraging Congress to take this up, get, the, uh, get it ratified. If we do, and then I'll answer the second part, if we do, we see huge potential opportunities for the border communities and particularly the Rio Grande Valley. And I'm going to refer to a couple of the provisions that was mentioned in the, in the first presentation. And that is what we do as an organization is we look for unique opportunities or advantages that we can market over what our competitors have out there to market. And there were two that were mentioned that are really critical, just as an example. There are more, but there are two just as an example. And those both involve the automotive sector. Uh, as was mentioned, they raised the regional value content requirement from 62.5% for automotive up to 75% for uh, passenger vehicles and utility vehicles and 70% for heavy trucks. Now what that means is that in order for a product to qualify under the USMCA, at least 70 or 75% of the value, total value of that product has to come from US, Canada, or Mexico. So what that is doing is that's definitely got the attention of a lot of automotive companies that are not located here that say if we want to be in the market, we have to be there. It also says that in order for the ones that are here to get the content, those suppliers that are bringing stuff in from China and Japan and, and Korea and Germany and other uh, foreign suppliers are saying, we have to be there, otherwise we can't help our customers reach that 70% uh, or 75% requirement. So as a result, uh, what we are seeing is those company or those uh, uh, companies are saying we have to be there. When they say that, though, think about this, and this is the thing no one is looking at. Mexico has free trade agreements with another 45 or 47 countries. If I'm producing in the U.S. with a, to hit the $16 an hour requirement. Uh, or and uh, to, to reach the regional value content, if I'm producing a product and shipping it to the Mercedes plant or the BMW plant in Mexico, they may be producing that car for one of those 45 or 47 other countries. They don't want it built in the U.S. It has to be built in Mexico in order for it to qualify under that free trade agreement. And so what happens, and this is... The companies are telling us this. We just came from China, and they were telling us this. What that means is, if they are locating, going to locate a plant in North America, they want to locate on the border where they can put a plant in McAllen and a plant in Reynosa 
and they can go to their customer and say, you tell me where that car is going and I'll tell you where I'm going to build it so that you can qualify for the trade agreements. Wow. Something that doesn't exist anywhere else but on the border. Yeah, that's interesting, Keith, that you're bringing those points up. But again, these things are not going to happen until we have some certainty about the USMCA. Right. So uh, trade with Mexico is highly dependent on just-in-time manufacturer manufacturing. Earlier in my presentation, I showed the journey of a capacitor uh, and the interdependence between the supply chain between the U.S., Mexico, and Canada. It showed a capacitor crossing the U.S.-Mexico border many times. Just-in-time manufacturing process is implemented to reduce waste and improve productivity. This entails reducing on-hand inventory or ordering as needed and shipping quickly. Wait times at our ports of entry are arguably a major cost associated with just-in-time manufacturing. Luis, is this a problem at your port? What initiatives are you or other ports putting in pl place to address this issue? Uh, Salvador, it's been a problem at every port. Uh, you know, this is across the board. This is something, uh, we look back at April uh, when we started hearing the negative rhetoric at the, at the national level about a border shutdown, and then we started seeing uh, the immigration crisis really hit us hard, uh, actually making uh, CDP, you know, install queues in the middle of the bridge. What that did, obviously, it, it, picked up our wait times. You know, we went from, you know, let's say a minimum of 30 minutes to about an hour, maybe an hour plus on, on a heavy traffic day, which is maybe a Monday or Friday. You're looking at maybe one and a half to one hour, 45 minutes. But all of a sudden we found ourselves at about eight to 10 hours wait time. And then you look at some of the other uh, international ports of entry, same thing. Now, what we had to do is obviously we had to implement, you know, we had to get uh, strategic and we had to get creative so we got together uh, with our transportation uh, associations, our customs brokers associations, uh, got together with our federal uh, CBP, uh, with Capufe on the Mexican side, and we decided that we needed to do something about it now. Uh, so we implemented pilot programs that prioritize trade. So that's how we were able to reduce our border wait times by about 50%. This was back in around May or June. Right now, we've actually managed to reduce it even more, up to about 70%. So we ran a study, uh, when was it, a few weeks back, we did a GPS study on some, on some trucks, and we calculated um, based on, on a Monday, a Wednesday, and a Friday, that we were doing, uh, the, the shortest time is about 15 minutes, the longest time, you're looking at about 35 to 45 minutes. So that's pretty good, but now you have to consider the fact that we have produce coming in. And produce season starts heavily, well it starts in October, it gets really heavy and at high peak season, February, March, and April. That's when we might start to see some of the issues pop up again. We don't want to get there, so that's why we're working really hard, diligently working through our city leadership, uh, through our congressionals, uh, through, through, our, through our elected officials to ensure that we're able to do something about this queue in the middle of the bridge. Uh, we know that safety comes first, and you'll hear it first from CBP. Safety does come first. We have to protect our country. Uh, but at the same time, we've also installed a, a fence on top of this bridge that has diminished the amount of asylum seekers. We were looking at upwards of 100 asylum seekers rushing these bridges, including ours, in the last few months. Right now, we're at zero asylum seekers due to this queue and to this, temp and to this uh, fence we installed. So again, wait times are important. Obviously, we want zero wait times, but that's why it's important, again, as I was mentioning earlier, to invest in future infrastructure and you maximize the use of your import lots, uh, your export lots, and then you build you know, second spans and, and you go into other infrastructure and then you implement technology and, and new person, more personnel. So there's a lot of needs. Every port is now part of this donations acceptance program. 
that allows us as a city to invest in future infrastructure and donate that infrastructure to the federal government so they can operate more efficiently. So that's what we're looking at. By, by year 2021, City of Far will invest about $35 million in new infrastructure, not to mention what the Aduana and Reynosa Far did. They invested about 80 to $90 million completely modernizing that Aduana. So right now, they're kicking out trade 30 to 40 percent faster than what we're able to take in. So it's now our turn. So we have a lot to we have a lot to learn that we have a lot to do. All right. Thank you, Luis. Uh, according to the U.S. International Trade Commission, USMCA is anticipated to increase U.S. total trade with Canada by 38 billion dollars and uh, 27 billion with Mexico. The anticipated volume in trade will only add to the demands at our already stretched ports. Icons, an industry group, claims that the country borders. Uh, border crossings are now in need of roughly $4 billion in investments. Uh, there is no question that much capital is needed uh, to update our ports infrastructure and to hire a customs officer to address existing and expected demand. Ralph, are our ports of entry ready for that projected growth in trade? Actually, we're, before I do anything, I'd like to thank Congressman Cuellar for being here. He's always at the forefront uh, I serve on the BTA along with the Border Trade Alliance, along with Sergio and several other members in this room. And your help there, and I know you're leading the charge to get the coalition together to pass it. And we've got Mexico has passed it. If we pass it, Canada will be right behind it, and we'll get this show on the road. And thank you for your time. I'd like you all to give him a round of applause. I know you're going to give him more. And I'd like to thank that Senator Chewy and Hossa also for all the help that he's given the Valley and the Port, and we appreciate you very much. Thank you, sir. The upgrades that have happened uh, in the last two years, uh, we now have the electric power that we need. We have 300, with the Cross Valley tie, we have the grid now comes in with 345 kilowatts, kilovolts, and we have a loop that goes from Corpus here to, and then from here to Laredo and back to Corpus. So if we have a storm and it tears down the, the line in the middle of the King Ranch, well, we're not out of electricity. There's just one little spot that is. You know, so we've got that. But more than anything else, we, that's the reason we get the steel mill now, because we're in the running, because we have that. And then we have the... Uh, Valley Crossing Pipeline, and that was the other, that, and that pipeline is large enough to carry 10% of the entire daily production of the state of Texas. It has capacity of 2.6 billion cubic feet a day of natural gas for Texas and Mexico, and it runs from Aguadulce to Tuxpan, so, but it has stops all the way down, up, up and down the, the line. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to inaugurate a new liquid cargo dock. Cost us $29 million. Uh, we're opening a, expanding our boat cargo dock. We have our grain elevator back in business, and uh, we just found out that Corpus shut theirs down. So we will be the place to to be doing waterbound uh, grain. The first the first cargo that came in was. Two years ago, when they, the new company by Urgent came in, took it over, and they brought in 108, uh, they upgraded all this stuff, and they brought 108 cars, a unit train, and they unloaded it in less than seven hours. 
I was just amazed that you could do that. Uh, and we're enjoying the benefits of the new I-69 designation, and we I just found out that money's been appropriated for that, so now we're going to be able to move forward and be able to drive from the Rio Grande Valley all the way to Port Huron nonstop. So it seems like infrastructure has been slowly but surely improving. Absolutely, yeah. but we, you know, we we've invested and we've got more money investing every day. And the channel digging from 42 feet to 52 feet, we have public-private partnerships that are in place. Not an MOU. We have contracts signed that will pay for two-thirds. Right now, we have 200 million dollars from the LNGs to dig the channel to 52 wow. feet. Yeah. But then the, another third of it, we're working on some of the other clients at the yeah. port and the federal government, of course. That's, that's thank you, Senator. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, Keith, uh, total trade between U.S. and Mexico, again, mentioned again, is some $600 billion. It supports millions of U.S. jobs. So why is Congress not doing more to facilitate trade with, by investing in our nation's ports? What can we do? <laughs> if I knew that, I would... Not that's the last question. What I'm doing. <laughs> but uh, I, think, uh, I think a lot of it has to do with the focus. And somehow, you know, when 9-11 happened, uh, the focus changed. And we started changing from the, uh, the CBP, what's now CBP, uh, from one of really uh, uh, facilitating trade to security and uh, and and uh, now it's moved into immigration control. It's moved into uh, drug enforcement. And as a result, I think the missions have gotten a little bit fuzzy for our local uh, uh, officials, which do a phenomenal job for us. I mean, they do a, a tremendous job. But I think, and then you start looking at the fact that Washington, D.C. is thousands of miles away. Mexico City is a thousand miles away. And I really don't think, with the exception of our of, of Congressman Cuellar and other border uh, legislators, they don't really know what's going on down here. I know they come down and they make a photo stop and then they take off, but nothing happens. I think they really, I, and I, you know, having said that, so I think it's a knowledge issue, but having also said that, I think it's really kind of our fault as a community because we're not doing a good job of going up and helping our legislative delegation put the message out, get the message out, and help them understand what is involved here. As Luis mentioned, you know, that bridge, look at the billions of dollars of trade that that's bringing in. Uh, look at the jobs that, that is supported by what we are doing down here and the, and the things that go through our area. And so, I really think that a lot of it, we tend to, locally, quite frankly, I think we tend to be a parochial. I think the cities tend to focus on their little piece of the pie. And I think maybe what we need to do as a region is to start looking at how we in work together to increase the size of the pie so that we all win rather than thinking that the pie is infinite in size and if anybody else comes in, our piece gets smaller. That isn't the case. You heard when we started looking at 
what USMCA could mean as far as growth, well, that growth is increasing the size of the pie. Are we going to get our share, or are we going to give it to someone else? Definitely, the pie can be bigger, and it can be bigger if we all work together. Well, I want to thank our panelists for, uh, great, uh, uh, for being candid with us, for giving us their great insight. So if you please give me help them a round of applause. I'd like to say that the Port of Brownsville is the port of the Rio Grande Valley. This is not, it just happens to be located in Brownsville. The Port of Houston, 60 miles away, there nobody think anything of saying we're shipping it. We have a port. You have a port. It's right here. It's yours. Thank you, gentlemen. We will proceed with our program. Thank you very much. I'll get uh, support from Robbie and his team to uh, please clear some of these waters that were opened earlier, please. Talking about working together, I want to say thank you to, to the different organizations that are here from throughout the valley. Uh, just received a little call from Senator Corning, running about five minutes late. So this will give me this opportunity, as well as an opportunity to see the video that thanks to Far IT was able to load up for us. So as we, as we get ready to ensure that that, that video is ready to rock and roll, Robbie, South Padre Island, Brownsville, San Benito, Harlingen, Westlaco, Donna, Alamo, San Juan Far, backwards is PSJ, go Bears. I live in Michigan. McAllen, Mission, Rio Grande City, and the city of Edinburgh, thank you guys for being here with us from throughout the entire valley. Play the video. MTV rocks. The Rio Grande Valley is a dynamic region located on the southernmost tip of Texas that includes four counties, Cameron, Hidalgo, Star, and Willacy. The Rio Grande Valley is a remarkable place to live, work, and visit. Defined by a vibrant, binational culture and a safe and welcoming community, the valley's treasured assets serve as the catalyst for continued prosperity and abundant opportunity. Twelve international bridges located across the region serve as the gateway to the global marketplace. Each port of entry facilitates the movement of people and goods between the neighboring countries through commercial, vehicular, and pedestrian traffic. The Valley's ports of entry play a critical role in the economic prosperity of the nation by generating billions of dollars in international trade and thousands of new jobs annually. Our world-class deep water port, the Port of Brownsville, is the largest landowning port authority in the nation epicenter for intermodal transportation and industrial development. Consistently ranked among the top three nationally in export value, the Port of Brownsville fully capitalizes on its strategic location on the U.S.-Mexico border. 
A robust, well-educated workforce is the cornerstone for growth and competitiveness in today's economy. And higher education institutions in the Valley play a transformational role across the region. In 2018, the Valley's institutions of higher education enrolled over 70,000 college students while offering a comprehensive range of training, certificates, technical, and professional degrees. Recognized in a variety of national rankings, initiatives such as emerging research projects, comprehensive training models, and newly created academic programs, including UTRGV School of Medicine, are transforming healthcare and economic development in the RGV. With a temperate climate and abundant days of sunshine, the RGV is a thriving haven for outdoor activities. Ecotourism in the region generates nearly $500 million toward the local economy. Locals and visitors alike enjoy a wide range of activities, such as hunting, fishing, and our first-class beaches. Situated along major migratory bird routes, more than 500 bird species offer a network of some of the finest birding adventures in the world. As boundless opportunities currently define the region, the RGV is not without noteworthy challenges. Continued expansion of water management and water quality infrastructure is an essential means of protecting its residents and environmental resources from flood and coastal storm vulnerabilities. The region's rapid population growth and economic resilience also foster the need for addressing priorities, such as expansion of transportation and trade infrastructure, suitable access to healthcare and community resources, and ensuring a well-educated, highly skilled workforce is fostered locally to continually meet the demands of industry and market growth. The Rio Grande Valley is filled with promise and limitless opportunity. Inaccurate perceptions pose a serious threat to the sustainable economic prosperity of the region. The RGV stands united now more than ever to advance the region and maximize its full potential to ensure that residents, visitors, and stakeholders are guaranteed prosperous development and the highest quality of life now and for many years to come. Congratulations, Ron. Great video. Robert Haddad currently serves as Vice President for Government Affairs at DHR, previously served under Congressman Ruben Hinojosa as Legislative Counsel and Clerk for the Honorable Ricardo Hinojosa. Roberto graduated summa cum laude from St. Edwards University and earned a Juris Doctorate from Georgetown University Law Center out of Washington, D.C. A Valley native, Roberto is happy to live in the Rio Grande Valley and is with his husband, Jameson. Please help me introduce our board member at the RGV Partnership, as well as a board member from Futuro RGV, Mr. Roberto Haddad. Thank you, Sergio. Uh, good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is my honor here to welcome you to the USMCA Forum brought to you by both the Futuro RGV and the RGV Partnership. As Sergio mentioned, it is my honor to sit on and honor and privilege to sit on boards of both organizations as well as serve uh, DHR Health. The RGB partnership led by the tireless Sergio Contreras has dedicated itself to ensuring the betterment and prosperity of the Rio Grande Valley by advancing local interests and opportunities for development in education, economics, and community. Futuro RGB, led by the formidable Nedra Kanur, is committed to promoting civic engagement 
and keeping members of our community well informed about quality of life issues. If enacted, the USMCA is going to have a tremendous impact on the Rio Grande Valley and it's going to bring forth new opportunities as well as challenges. So it is no surprise that RGV Partnership and Futuro RGV partnered together to bring this forum to provide you the information so we can seize the opportunities before us. It gives me great pride to be part of both organizations whose mission is to make the Valley a better place. Before we uh, move on, I would like to thank all the people who made this event possible. Mayor Dr. Ambrosio Hernandez, practically the whole city of FAR, including Cindy Garza, the FAR Police Department, FAR IT Department, of course, the FAR Event Center. Mr. Salvador Contreras, Ms. Veronica Gonzalez, our panelists, sponsors, RGV partnership staff, with special thanks to Monica Sanchez, who's been working uh, day and night to make this happen, Nedra Kanurk and the Futuro RGV board, and the many volunteers. Um, and before I move on to the next thing, I want to introduce the, one of the Valley's premier pediatric surgeons, a leader, a visionary, and the person who has seen unprecedented growth in the city of FAR, Dr. Mayor Ambrosio Hernandez. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome, Senators. First and foremost, uh, thank you for uh, choosing the great city of FAR. I know you could have chosen uh, many, many beautiful cities uh, throughout the Rio Grande Valley, and you chose the city of FAR to have your event, and we're very, very delighted to have that. Um, I'm going to make some comments, but first and foremost, I want to be sure that uh, we introduce our, our panel first, because I want them to hear the commentary that I'm going to provide, because the, the commentary that I'm going to provide is really a, a result of their leadership. So first and foremost, uh, I'd like to, do we have Senator uh, Corning here yet? Not, yet? Not yet, okay. No problem. No problem. Um, so in any case, so what I wanted to let you guys know is, as you may or may not know, obviously I'm the mayor of the city of FAR. I'm also chairman of the Hidalgo County MPO and also the chairman of the new Rio Grande Valley MPO, which is great. <laughs> So this is actually very good timing that we have this event. And the topic of interest couldn't be any better. Right, Pete? And Pete is here from TechStock. You want to stand up, Pete, so don't know who you are? This is TechStock, Pete. And of course, our illustrious senators who are going to come to bear in a minute. But we have Senator Chuinahosa and Senator Lucio. You want to guys want to stand up so people know who you are? Um, this is an important uh, topic for all of us, infrastructure, trade, it's linked. One goes hand in hand with the other. As a mayor of FAR, my job, the number one job is to grow the city of FAR and make sure we have a thriving economy. As chairman of the Dow County MPO, it changes a little. Now we're talking about the county. As the chairman of the Rio Grande Valley MPO, now it's a totally different scale and one which I've been looking forward for a very long time. Because I've always thought, and it's been my opinion, FAR can't grow without the Rio Grande Valley, and the Rio Grande Valley can't grow without FAR. We're one and the same. San Diego is a beautiful city. I love visiting it. But we have very, actually we have a lot in common with San Diego, except one thing that I didn't like. We were never united. We have, a, we have a land ports, many land ports, seaports, airports, but we look nothing like San Diego. And part of that problem is because we've always battled for generations each other, rather than putting our efforts together. So when the opportunity presented itself, 
with our leadership that it is time for us to merge our MPOs with the great leadership of Hidalgo County, the great leadership of Cameron County, it's time it couldn't have been better. By doing so, we tap into resources that we never had thought of before, things that we never could do before. Projects that were just, forget it, ne it's never gonna happen. But actually, it all started when, the, when I was on the chairman of the MPO of Hidalgo County, and it was Cameron County leadership that actually helped to get it done. And I knew then their efforts, their push to make this 281 exchange, which I hate because it's so, so congested and the fatalities that occur, affects everybody in the Rio Grande Valley. And when we went and asked, would you please help the Rio Grande Valley with the project? Not the city of Far, not the county. We had zero hesitation from the Cameron County leadership, just so you know. And with that, yep. So when that occurred, I knew it was a pivotal moment for us to move swiftly to go forward and get our MPOs merged. But with that, let's work on our guests, Senator Cornyn, Congressman, there you go, Cuella, and of course, lovely visit, Veronica Gonzalez. She's going to be our moderator. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Please, please have a seat. So, uh, Senator, Congressman, and uh, Veronica, we were just discussing the fact of uh, how important trade and infrastructure are intimately linked and how the MPOs, the Metropolitan Planning Organizations, have a significant impact on those endeavors. So when we merged our MPOs in April, people didn't realize exactly what that meant. That means we, for one, are going to have one voice for the Rio Grande Valley. And we're, we're very excited. As you all know, thanks to the effort of our, our senators here, our uh, state representatives, uh, Terry Canales, of course, and of course, uh, you know, there's many state reps in the Rio Grande Valley, state representatives, they keep fighting and fighting for us. And when they joined, they actually got it done. And they got it done because the Rio Grande Valley MPO leadership, which is Dow County and Cameron County, put all the differences aside and we met with them and we said, look, we're gonna merge, but we're gonna merge because we know it's better for our community, not any one city. It's better for our, both counties and soon we're gonna be adding other counties. And we're gonna do it, but we need you to do your job as legislators. And they did. But those, those monies started thanks to the efforts of our great senator and our great congressman. Federal Highways Department, critical for infrastructure. They provide the money to the state of Texas based on population. They gave us such a big check to the state of Texas. And we saw it and we took advantage of it. So the success of the Rio Grande Valley MPO is in no small part, not only to our state legislators, but to our federal legislators, our partners. Your funding in the Federal Highways Department has made a, a reality come true for the Rio Grande Valley. And as you may or may not know, we just passed our UTP for under TxDOT, and the FAR District, as it's called, obviously got over 2.1 billion with a B for a 10-year plan. The Rio Grande Valley will benefit over one billion of that money will come to us. And it all started with your leadership, Congressman and Senator. Your, your efforts pushed it forward. So I wanted to thank you, because without that money, there was no point in us merging. So it made a very impactful difference. Thank you, sir.
Now, in our area, there's always, uh, you know, we're a very vibrant community, very diverse community. Sometimes we uh, are in head headlines where we don't want to be. Um, and I agree with some of my colleagues who have been here before me that part of it is absolutely directly related to us, meaning our community. We have a right to speak, we have a right to voice a concern, and we shouldn't let other people do it for us. But there's a little bit of confusion that occurs. At times I've seen headlines, commentaries from people saying, well, you know, Senator Cornyn, Congressman Cuellar, they don't defend us. They don't say anything. They just let the people talk trash about the Rio Grande Valley or the border. And I assure you, that's far from the truth. I don't know about you guys, but I obviously, I know I, I work late, so I watch C-SPAN too. Most people don't, right? But I do. I watch it. And I've seen white papers. I've seen them testify. I've seen them on the Senate floor, House floor. And I assure you, I've seen them when our political system gets a little uh, hostile towards our region. I've seen them on the floor, live, they're talking, late hours saying, the border area is a vibrant community. It's critical for our nation and for our state. And that kind of rhetoric, the negative, is not, will not be tolerated in our state. They stand with us. They stand, obviously, for what I call NAFTA 2.0. I think this sounds better. They support it. There's always negotiations. But they've been, they make no mistake. There are a lot of naysayers, but the facts speak for themselves. These two gentlemen have fought for our great state and a best for the United States of America. So thank you. So without further ado, I just want to make sure everybody uh, knew that uh, City of FAR, the Mayor's Office, the Rio Grande Valley, MPO, and the leadership are eternally grateful to you gentlemen for all your efforts, for the funding, for the uh, negotiations that you guys have to go through. It's very tough. I, I can't even imagine and the ongoing negotiations, and for the community for coming out to support this great endeavor. And I'm glad to see the entire Valley present here because for once, we really are, are seeing one community. And we're about to just blow up an infrastructure beyond belief, and we deserve it. We're not asking, as I told TxDOT when I testified, we're not asking for anything special. We're not even asking for a handout. We just want to be treated fairly. We want equitable representation and our dollars to funnel where we need them. And everybody will win. It's not about FAR, it's not about McAllen, it's not about Brownsville, it's about the entire Rio Grande Valley. That's our vision for the Rio Grande Valley MPO, and it will remain that way. And with that, Veronica, I'll let you take over. Thank you. The Vice President for Governmental and Community Relations at UTRGV, Veronica Gonzalez, moderated a question and answer session with U.S. Senator John Cornyn and U.S. Congressman Henry Cuellar. Thank you, Mayor, and we appreciate the work that you've done uh, on the transportation and what you are doing here in the city of Far, and appreciate all the efforts that you do for the Rio Grande Valley. We know you have a day job as well. Uh, as a, a physician, but I don't know how you manage to do everything you do, so thank you for, for everything you, you do for this area. So gentlemen, yes, give them a round of applause. <laughs> Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thank you once again for joining us today, for giving up your uh, very busy schedules to educate our audience on USMCA. And we often hear about the gridlock in Congress, uh, but we know that the two of you have been recognized over the years as working on a bipartisanship basis 
and we've actually seen it here in the Valley with our own eyes, uh, particularly with policies that support our ports of entry. And for that, we want to give you our great thanks. Give them a round of applause. In fact, Congressman Coyad, I'm, I'm gonna give you a little hard time here. I, I know that you were recently recognized, so congratulations to you. Uh, recognized by Quorum Analytics as one of the most bipartisan members of the 116th Congress. So, so thank you for that. So. And, and so gentlemen, USMCA is one of those trade agreements that's going to require support from both Democrats and Republicans. And as we've just heard from our previous panel, it is very important to the Rio Grande Valley. So uh, I'd like to uh, get on with the questions. Um, at the G20 Leaders Summit in Buenos Aires in November of 2018, U.S. President Trump, then President Nieto, uh, Mexican President Nieto, and Canadian Prime Minister Trudeau signed a draft of a new USMCA intended to replace NAFTA. However, Congress has not yet passed USMCA, and it's my understanding that Speaker Pelosi has appointed a nine-member committee in the House to review the impact assessments on trade, labor, and the environment, as well as an enforcement plan. So Congressman Cuellar, could you tell us more about this committee, such as why it was formed, who's on it, and what concerns that the committee will try to resolve? Well, I'll be happy to do that, but before I do that, Veronica, let me just uh, take a moment to thank uh, Senator Cornyn. Uh, Senator Cornyn has been a, um, a fantastic ally for us, uh, not only in the Valley, but across the state of Texas. Uh, well, we need something done in the Senate. Uh, we uh, go to Senator Cornyn. So, Senator, thank you again for what you do. Uh, thank you so much on that. Uh, I also see uh, some of my former colleagues that I, I don't know who to introduce first, whether it's Tui or Eddie. So I'm going to throw a coin. I threw a, a coin a few minutes ago. But uh, first of all, I'll start off with Tui. Uh, Tui, I appreciate you serve in finance. So we're on the same counter committees. We serve uh, also in ag. And, and, of course, you do a lot of work on transportation and the other committees. So again, uh, thank you so much to you uh, for the work that you do. Uh, but before you uh, applaud him, uh, let me just say also, uh, Eddie. Uh, Eddie and I were actually roommates when we first started as state legislators. We've known each other. We appreciate the work that you do also in the state, uh, in education, the other area. I have to say this, for the first time in so many years, uh, because we are both uh, uh, house trained, uh, for the first time in so many years, the state of Texas, the state legislature, put a lot of money into public and higher ed, and I want to thank you all and the rest of the legislators for the great work that y'all did this last session itself. Also. Uh, Mayor Ocaña, uh, see you over there. Uh, after 44 year, years uh, as an educator, you are, I think uh, you uh, retired today after 44 years as an educator. So again, thank you for what you've done as an educator. Again, thank you. Um, mayor, judge, uh, Cortez, amigo, accountant, everything. Uh, again, uh, you know, appreciate. Uh, I think you're, um, you know, the work that you do, you understand what economic development is, and I really do appreciate what you do. So, again, to, uh, I know I'm missing some of the folks. I know Sergio Contreras told me to talk to him for about 10 minutes. I'm sorry, I don't have that time, Sergio, so I apologize. Uh, but, uh, uh, but I do want to say this. Um, Look, the, 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 the vote is not going to happen in the Senate unless one person, I mean, on the House, unless Pelosi uh, puts it. We did ask her, I've asked her privately, and I've asked her this in public. Uh, you know, we are going to vote on, uh, and I still call it NAFTA 2.0, uh, 
uh, Mayor, and I also appreciate uh, Mayor Nandez for the work that they do here. Uh, and she will put it. Uh, she said she voted for the first uh, NAFTA, uh, but she said back in the 90s, she said, but, you know, there were certain promises that were not kept. I said, well, you're now Speaker of the House. You're not just a member. You're now the Speaker of the House. So let's address some of the issues. As you know, uh, some members have uh, some issues with uh, the environment, uh, labor reform, enforcement, and pharmaceuticals. Uh, let me talk about those real quickly. And she put a committee. It is very interesting the committee she put because some of the members there, with all due respect, are not the most pro-trade members that we have out there. But she did it for a purpose because she feels that they'll be able to reach an agreement and then she can turn around and say, hey, can you tell us a little bit about this? And if she has some progressive Democrats, then it'll be easier to sell that agreement down the line. So she knows what she's doing uh, when she set that up. But let me talk about those four points quickly. One, labor reform. Democrats should be jumping up and down because in the agreement, there is uh, labor reform. And if you look at the historic labor reform Mexico did, Democrats, even Republicans, should be jumping up and down because uh, historic changes uh, that Mexico did, number one. Number two, enforcement, uh, we just got back, Kevin Brady and myself just got back from Mexico City, and we emphasized uh, to our friends over there, you've got to put the money for enforcement. Make sure that they hire the, the, the judges, the labor judges and all that, and by September next month, they are going to present a budget, and we're hoping that by November, the Mexicans will put enough money there to make sure that there's a commitment for the enforcement part of it. Uh, for the third part of it is the, uh, the environment. And I told the trade representative, and you and I have been on the same page, and I told Pelosi, I told the uh, Ways and Means uh, Chairman, uh, enforcement's very, I mean, the, uh, uh, the environment's very simple. Support Nat Bank. And if we reauthorize Nat Bank, and we do the work that we have to do there, then this will take care of the water, the, uh, the air, which is so important. And keep in mind, Nat Bank, uh, about 73%, uh, maybe more, of their projects are renewable projects. So this take care, takes care of the environment. Uh, I think it's all moving forward on that because in September next month, if everything goes fine, for the first time in I don't know how many years, uh, the bill will be kicked out of committee and they will put it on the floor and we'll vote on it. So we'll get the Nat Bank and, and, and the senator will carry, uh, will do his work like he always does and we'll get it done. Uh, finally, on the pharmaceutical, uh, you know, that has nothing to do with Mexico. That has nothing to do with uh, 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 Canada. It's something that the pharmaceutical companies have. So all those proposals, uh, you know, those four points have been presented to the trade representative. They'll get together. And I will say this. This fall, we will vote on the trade agreement. This has nothing to do with Trump. I, I've heard some folks said, well, you know, some uh, Democrats don't want to vote on this because they don't want to give Trump a, a victory. It has nothing to do with that. When it comes to trade, it's all personal to the district. How does that affect the, the individual? I feel very confident that we'll have a vote. We will pass it. Uh, I have counted the votes on the Democrat side. I feel very confident that if, once we put it to a vote, it will pass. I will tell you this, and I think the senator knows this also, there will be, let's talk about Texas or even uh, across uh, other states, there will be some Democrats, maybe some Republicans, many Democrats would never vote for a trade agreement. I know them. There are some here in Texas. Uh, there are some of us that will vote for a trade agreement. CAPTA, Panama, South Korea, name it, we all voted for that. TPA also. 
And finally, uh, there will be some that I think will get there. And I feel it very differently because I've seen it when labor comes after, after people. I was their number one target uh, after CAPTA in 2005. And, and, and as uh, I've said in the past, no member has ever lost a vote on trade, or should I say lost an election on trade. And that's why I keep telling members. So uh, this fall, we will put it to a vote and it will pass with both Democrats and Republicans and it'll go over the Senate. And I'm sure that you know the Senator's leadership, they'll get it done over there. Thank, thank you, Congressman. And I know your colleague, uh, Congressman uh, Gonzalez, recently was quoted in an article as saying that his objection to USMCA is that he'd like to require Mexico to create a safety zone for the transportation corridor from Monterey to McAllen, such as the green zone in Iraq. What do you think of that idea? You know, I, I, uh, I certainly agree. And, and, and again, I've talked to all the Democrats and talked to Republicans. Uh, you know, uh, I'll start with uh, Congressman Vela. Congressman Vela wants more money for ports, which I agree with him. That's, a, that's an appropriations, and we need to look at that. We should work together with the um, uh, Border Trade Alliance. It'll keep in mind, seaports have the Harbor Trust Fund. Maybe it's about time that land ports should look at some sort of trust fund like the, uh, like the seaports have, but you know, it's an appropriation process. Uh, and Congressman uh, Gonzalez also is worried about a route that comes to the McAllen area to make sure that the Mexicans uh, you know, provide security. Uh, Cabeza de Vaca will be up there in uh, Washington, I think in about a week we're hosting it up there. And certainly we've talked to the Mexicans to make sure that they do uh, certain work that has nothing to do with us, but I understand where Congressman Gonzalez and Congressman Vela is coming uh, from, so we will work with them on that. I, I support that we need to have uh, definitely security on the Mexican side. Great, thank you so much. Senator, I understand that the AFL-CIO is against USMCA at this point. Uh, what are some concerns that you've heard about the agreement, and what do you, why do you still believe that it's worthwhile? First, let me say uh, it's great to be here with you and all of uh, my friends in the Valley and my, uh, my buddy, Henry Cuellar. Um, I could give you a lot of examples of why he is recognized as such a bipartisan leader and somebody who solves problems in the House, but I don't want to jeopardize his uh, primary election by saying too many nice things about Henry. So I'll just, I'll, uh, I'll say those privately, Henry, and not publicly. But um, Henry and I are partners on almost every issue involving trade and certainly the border region, and uh, I very much appreciated it. It takes a certain amount of courage sometimes in this political environment to do it, but Henry stepped up every time, and um, I appreciate it, Henry. So um, let me walk back just a little bit. The, the way, what we're doing is using trade promotion authority fast-track rules. Um, when trade promotion authority passed in the Obama administration, it needed 60 votes in the Senate, and we got 47 Republicans and 13 Democrats to come together to pass that. Now, George W. Bush, when he was president, we couldn't get the votes even when Republicans had majorities in both houses and the presidency. So it was quite a threading of the needle. And I would just observe that trade has undeservedly, in my view, gotten a little bit of a black eye in our political discourse uh, these days. People blame a lot of things on trade that uh, it, it, doesn't, uh, it doesn't deserve. But I'm, I think, uh, you know, this has been an 
This has been an unadulterated good thing for the United States, NAFTA. Five million American jobs depend on binational trade with Mexico, eight million with Canada. One of the great developments and one reason to modernize NAFTA, um, or the USMCA now, Henry, of course, has been the revolution in energy. Um, we are, uh, I think, aren't we co-chairs of the Shale Caucus, if I'm not mistaken? And, um, you know, this is, um, North America is, uh, is very close to energy independence. Uh, and this is just a, a miracle and a blessing uh, for our country and for everybody who, who lives here, who benefits from affordable energy costs. It's helped our economy, helped people on fixed income and, uh, and, and the like. But, in, ter but your, in terms of your question, there are different groups that, that I think uh, sort of reflexively oppose these trade agreements. But I must say, I think uh, Ambassador Lighthizer, U.S. Trade Representative, has tried to do a good job reaching out to constituencies in labor and saying, what would you need in this uh, agreement in order to make this more uh, uh, acceptable to you? And uh, in fact, he has done such a good job reaching out to uh, organized labor and our Democratic colleagues that some Republicans are saying, whoa, you're gone too far. But that's, uh, that's only, only natural, I think. I, I agree with Henry that uh, Ms. Pelosi, that, that uh, the president and the trade representative have tried to be respectful of uh, Speaker Pelosi's position. She has to work uh, the House, and there's nobody who knows it better than she does. And um, I agree with Henry that if, uh, if they tee it up in the House, which I heard him say they will do, and it passes, then it will pass the Senate. The only thing, Henry, I hope that Speaker Pelosi is thinking about, I know you are, is that the farther this gets in, the closer this gets to the election, the more difficult the environment gets politically. And uh, we need to get this done. Well, and, and perhaps uh, I think the, the committee that was assigned will be very helpful in that respect because if they can get some of the concerns on labor met, then I, maybe that will appease some of the AFL-CIO concerns. Yeah, and, and, and let me just respectfully correct something. Um, uh, AFL-CIO has not come out against it yet. Uh, now, they, they're trying to get to a yes, and, and, and as the senator said, the, the trade representative, Robert, has done a great job. Uh, to the point I even heard some from Republicans said, hey, slow down a little bit. So he's done a good job. Uh, they're trying to get to a yes. In fact, I took a delegation to Mexico, and, and, and we had uh, Robert Stumpka there, I mean, uh, you know, the, the, the chairman of AFL-CIO. I said, hey, you want to come with me? I'm taking Pelosi's office. I'm taking Waste of Means and love, love to have you uh, be there. And he did send somebody. And it was interesting because they were saying labor reform, labor reform, labor reform. After they got back, they are not really emphasizing labor reform. What are they emphasizing now? Enforcement part of it. And that's why I keep telling the Mexicans, make sure you put the money in the budget so there can be an enforcement part of it. And that's why there's a lot of Democrats that will probably get to a yes because AFL-CIO officially has not come out. And if we get a couple of them to come on board, I think it's going to be very helpful. Great. Well, sometimes neutrality is a... Position. That's a victory. Exactly. Well, uh, Senator, those of us that live here on the U.S.-Mexico border, we understand firsthand how inextricably intertwined uh, Mexico and the U.S. economies are, with Mexico being the U.S.'s top trading partner. It was also recently rec reported by the National Association of Manufacturers, NAM, that more than 4,100 Texas manufacturers export a combined $125 billion 
a billion with a B, in goods to Mexico and Canada each year. So what are the possible consequences to consumers if we don't get USMCA passed? Well, I, that would be unthinkable to me. I hope that's not even in the realm of possibility, but um, right now NAFTA continues to be the law of the land until it's replaced by the USMCA. Uh, there has been some saber rattling. Perhaps it's a negotiation technique to say that uh, the president might withdraw us from NAFTA in order to force Congress's hand. My advice to Ambassador Lighthizer and anybody else who will listen is that's a terrible idea. I doubt the president could do it legally by his own authority because it required Congress to pass enabling legislation and he, the president could not do that unilaterally. Ambassador Lighthizer did tell me that he, uh, he his advice to the president is don't do that. Um, and uh, so I, I think um, you know, hopefully we will have the what, a relatively smooth transition. I know everybody's anxious because of the importance of, uh, of, of the USMCA, but uh, I'm pretty optimistic based on what Henry's telling me is happening in the House. I know the Speaker's listening to him and other pro-trade uh, Democrats, and uh, I think we'll get it done. And, and that somewhat answers my next question, which was if Congress couldn't pass USMCA, were there any other avenues to get an agreement in place? Yeah, I think we ought to just sort of keep our eye on the ball and do the USMCA and not think about Plan B. Uh, or maybe Plan B should be the same as Plan A, uh, you know, pass uh, the USMCA. If I could just add a footnote here, something that uh, you all were talking about just in terms of infrastructure and transportation. Um, this is another thing that I think we actually might be able to get done this fall, which uh, the Senate committee that's responsible for reauthorizing the highway um, the Highway Trust Fund and the so-called Highway Bill um, has done so, and now the Senate Finance Committee is working on a way to pay for it. But as you know, uh, Texas is a big, fast-growing state. The state government, legislature, has done a lot to try to help fill the need, but frankly, they need the federal government to step up. The Highway Trust Fund is dependent on the, the highway of the uh, fuel tax, which is inadequate to meet the needs. So we're coming up with, I think, some pretty creative funding mechanisms that we're seeming to get some more and more acceptance for. And uh, so I'm, I think there is a uh, better than even chance that we may well pass a, a highway bill uh, this year as well, which would be a great way to couple, uh, couple that win with USMCA. Thank you, Senator. And uh, earlier, I know you were not able to hear the earlier panel, but uh, Keith Patridge of the MEDC uh, mentioned that the uncertainty of the passage of USMCA was impacting business investments. He mentioned some trips he took to China and, and, uh, and others that are working to possibly invest in this area but are waiting to see what happens. So um, do you agree on, with him on the impact to business investments? Well, business confidence is really important because investors are not going to make decisions if they can't plan or think circumstances may radically change. The good news is that NAFTA is the law of the land until it's replaced. And so I think that ought to provide some, some comfort. Um, but it's, um, it's really important for, uh, in this environment where it's so easy to get distracted by the latest uh, statement or tweet or uh, cable news story, I mean, Part of it is trying to keep your eye on the ball, and that's what I think we ought to do, and not get distracted by all, 
all the noise that uh, exists now in Washington, D.C. on this topic uh, in particular. Thank you, sir. And if, if Congress does get USMCA passed, as we expect it to do, um, we're going to see an increase in trade, both at our southern and our northern borders. Uh, Congressman Cuellar, you represent a district that has one of the busiest ports of entry in the country. Are we ready for it? We will be, uh, and we got to do more. And, and let me explain a, a couple of things. The senator's right. We, we do need this highway bill. Uh, we do need to pass it. Um, uh, there's a lot of projects where the Texas Department of Transportation did. I looked at some of the projects that the border had. A lot of the projects are 80-20. 80% federal government, 20% for the state. So the federal government puts a lot, but the state of Texas is growing very fast. Last time we grew by 4.3 million individuals, uh, and uh, this census, uh, we're going to go by millions of individuals, so we've got to get the money. But it's not only the population, it's the uh, cargo. And that's one thing that, the, that we need to make sure that we uh, pay attention to the cargo because there's no other place like the state of Texas when it comes to trade. And, 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 and we've got to make sure we put the dollars not only for the highways, but I still go and I'm, I'm trying to give a hint to the Border Trade Alliance, and I know it's always hard, but there is a harbor maintenance tax. And if we look at all the ports of entry, we probably have to come up with $5 billion uh, to do that. Uh, I'd rather put that money in the ports than, they did, than a wall. I think it would be more effective to, to do that. But it's not only the ports of entry infrastructure, uh, but it's also the personnel that we have to get there. Um, I've been a big supporter, as uh, the center has, to not only push for the men and women in green. I don't know if Rudy Karish is here. Uh, there you are, Rudy, over here. I'm a big supporter of, uh, of the men and women in green. I'm a big supporter of the men and women in blue. And I see some of the men and women in blue over here. And we got to make sure that we add the money. This last session, we added uh, 1,200 uh, individuals. So we need to do more. Uh, and we got to make sure we use the, the technology also because if you want to stop drugs, most drugs are going to come through the ports of entry, except for marijuana that comes in uh, between the ports of entry. So we got to have uh, the technology there. Uh, canines, we added money for canine uh, uh, also to make sure we move that. Uh, joint inspections with the Mexicans is something that we need to continue expanding. And what the senator and I did uh, some years ago in the appropriations, and then we put it in. And uh, legislation is the, uh, the P3s uh, that have been extremely helpful on that. So there's a lot of work that we need to do to make sure that we have uh, the work done. But the other thing is, is, is besides the infrastructure, is we've got to coordinate with the Mexicans. It's very, very, very important. Uh, many areas, for example, uh, we're starting some uh, uh, projects, and they soon will be coming down to Texas. And one area that we need to put in is, is simply um, if you have a truck coming in, uh, sometimes the Mexicans have a hard time because either they'll get threatened, uh, intimidated, and all that. So if we can uh, share some of the, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the x-ray machines that they might have over there, and then we get it over here so we can get that work, and I'll go into more detail at a later time, but it's going to be extremely important. Uh, We've got to do a lot of work to coordinate with our Mexican friends on that. So the senator and I are certainly working on adding more personnel. Uh, especially in the men, women, in blue uh, for the ports of entry. And the other thing that the senator and I are working on uh, is I, I have a big problem with moving the professionals in blue to go change diapers, uh, make sandwiches, uh, input things. I know it's all important things at the border processing centers, 
but they should be at our ports of entry to make sure tourism and traffic cargo keeps moving. So one of the things that we're doing is that, uh, and this is an idea from Rudy Karish uh, that I got is I put in money for 1,200 entry-level positions uh, uh, so they can do that type of work and then we let Border Patrol be at the, at the, uh, at the, at the border and then the men and women at the, at the, uh, at the bridges and then let these other folks do the processing center and this is what the senator and I are working on together. And earlier today, I know that um, the fire bridge director was talking about some ideas they've implemented to reduce wait times at the bridges. And, and since USMCA doesn't have any money that's attached to, to the agreement, I guess you will be doing this via the appropriations um, process. Is that yeah, correct? and it's, a, it's all, it's all, it comes down to appropriations. I mean, it's, it's all down to appropriations. And, and certainly, you know, I'm working with the senator on this. I sit on... Uh, defense appropriations. I sit on the um, uh, on homeland uh, vice chair, but I also sit in ag, and, and I know for the city of Far, we need those uh, ag specialists so you can move your produce. Uh, and we got to make sure that we provide the funding for the personnel, the technology at the ports of entry, because over 80 percent, and there's other members that put a lot of attention to seaports and, and airports, which are important, but we have to make sure that we put the money. Uh, at the land ports in those areas. And the other thing, talking about seaports, uh, I know Corpus Christi, uh, I, you know, we worked together, put millions of dollars to deepen uh, the, the channel over there. And after we lifted the ban uh, on oil exports, the first uh, shipment uh, from the Eagle Port went to uh, Corpus Christi, and then from there it went off to Europe. And it's been a game changer, the, the lifting the ban. Uh, again, uh, Bronxville, we've had conversations as to the work that needs to be done, and I think we got some language there in the appropriations working with your congressman. Uh, so we've got to make sure that we take care of our ports of entry, not only the infrastructure, but especially uh, the men and women. I see Armando over there also with the work that they do also to make sure that we have uh, the right personnel. So it's not only the men and women in green, which we support, but it's also the men and women in blue for our ports of entry. Thank you. And you touched on this, uh, Senator, uh, we know that the traffic at the ports runs both ways, and so if the U.S. upgrades busy ports of entry on our side, is there a plan for Mexico in particular to do something on their side? Well, I think we, we, uh, we have to work together uh, because it doesn't do any good for us to upgrade our ports if they don't upgrade theirs. And, uh, you know, sometimes people uh, act as though Mexico and the United States are not connected by a common border. And I always like to say, well, it's like an old married couple. You know, we got to get along. We can't get divorced. So we got to make this marriage work. And to me, we just mean, in other words, we need to have come up with practical solutions to work more closely together with our, with our Mexican, uh, Mexican counterparts. And, uh, but I, it obviously is mutually beneficial, so I don't see any impediment to that. I just think uh, we need to continue to be uh, forward-leaning in offering uh, technology and, uh, and assistance where it serves our mutual interest to keep uh, traffic moving in an expedited way. And I'm sure there's discussions going on with the Mexican government about if we get this agreement passed, there's going to be a lot more trade. We expect a lot more trade coming in, and so we need both sides of the border to be uh, upgrading their ports of entry. You know, if I can add something to what the senator said, he's absolutely right. We have to work with our friends in the South. 
The Rio Bravo, the Rio Grande does not divide us as two countries. It unites us as two countries. Uh, every day there's more than $1.7 billion of trade between the U.S. and Mexico. That's over $1 million every single uh, minute. Uh, and, and you gave the, you know, the numbers in the panel before, the experts that were here before us, they gave the numbers of the jobs and all that they're created. But one of the things that worries me is this part. It, it, it worries me. Um, if you look at, and, and I think it was Keith that mentioned, you know, Mexico has about 45 trade agreements. We're not the only game in town. Uh, and as we see things, uh, you know, with this trade agreement and China, you know, we're losing some of the markets in ag. Uh, soybean, uh, you know, they're going down to, uh, you know, they're looking at Argentina, they're looking at Brazil and all that. Once you lose those markets, bailouts, I know some people have complained about bailouts some years ago. Farmers don't want bailouts, they want markets, and we gotta open up those markets as soon as we can. But what worries me is this, is China, and there's, uh, be happy to share uh, this info, because I think it's all uh, public. China, uh, Russia, Iran, mention those three, especially China, they're in Latin America and South America. They're in South America and all that. We just got back from El Salvador, and we were talking to the president where China said, told the president, we want to buy, well, actually, they were doing it with the prior president, we want to buy 63% of the coast of El Salvador. And by the way, we're going to throw in uh, 5G for free. You don't have to do anything. You know what they're going to do with that. Uh, and, and they're in so many other places. Why is it that in countries like Chile, that China is more popular than the United States? Chile. By the way, they have a Texas partnership with us uh, on that. And, and if you look to so many other countries, this is not only Venezuela. Uh, places like Argentina, for example, where the Chinese have gone, and they set up a, a facility where they said, we want to set up a space uh, tracking uh, area. And they tell the Argentinas, we will give you 90% access and the 10% you can have that. I mean, we'll keep 90%, you keep 10% access. First of all, that's a bad deal to not be able to go into a facility. They literally now have 100%. And they're doing that in so many places because they use old fashioned uh, diplomacy. We'll give you a hospital but give us this, uh, you know, this uh, natural agreement. You know, I've always said, if, if somebody wanted to play with, you know, folks that want to build a wall, you know, the, Mexico would turn around and say, well, okay, we'll build a wall, we'll let the Chinese build this, and we'll do this, and then, I mean, there's so many ways that if we're not careful with our friends to the South, we're gonna lose those individuals. We're gonna lose them. They want to be close to us, but the Chinese, the Russians, and the Iranians, especially the Chinese, are looking at our own backyard and this is why the senator and I have been working hard to make sure that we open up uh, the trade agreement because when it comes, uh, when it comes to, to uh, NAFTA, and I still call it NAFTA 2.0, uh, it's very simple. Either we get out, which it's not going to happen, two, we stay in the same, the status quo, it's okay, but things have changed since the 90s, or we get the improved trade agreement. And I think the third option, it's three simple options, the third agreement is, is a much better option that we have. Well, thank you for that. And in fact, that's a good segue into our next question. NAFTA is 24 years old. Uh, if we think back to where we were 24 years ago and how we've changed in 24 years, uh, I'm sure there's a lot that has happened that has really outdated NAFTA. Uh, and so I, I'd like for each of you to just tell us generally what kind of changes that you see uh, NAFTA 2.0 or USMCA providing over the current NAFTA agreement that we have? 
Well, I know Henry and I have changed in 20, 24 years, but I, you haven't changed a bit. So, um, well, if, I mentioned this earlier just in terms of the energy revolution and what Henry talked about. Now we're exporting uh, petroleum and uh, natural gas. Creates a lot of great jobs here. Um, but there are challenges, too, that go along with that. I was out in Midland in the Permian Basin a couple weeks ago, and they've got something called the Permian Strategic Partnership to try to figure out how to, and Bruce Bug, the chairman of the Texas uh, um, Department of Transportation was there, they made the point that they have 2% of the population but 11% of the traffic fatalities in the Permian Basin, so obviously they've got their infrastructure uh, uh, challenges. But I think what this uh, Board of Trade Alliance and so many folks in this room have provided is the strategic vision for the, for the valley, which is so important, not only when it comes to trade agreements, but when it comes to providing educational opportunity, access to health care, affordable housing, and uh, all, you know, all the above, all the things that makes for a, a, a good, good quality of life. Um, but uh, I think you know we need that vision, and we can't uh, we can't afford to go backward, or uh, particularly in in the energy sector. And I would also argue that think back. Uh, um, I'm not sure we all had these um, back then, and um, the digital economy, uh, which has made it possible. Uh, one of the young ladies on my staff told me she was getting her master's degree uh, from the University of Texas Rio Grande Valley, uh, and doing it online. You couldn't do that 24 years ago. So uh, those are just a couple of the things that need to be updated and modernized in order to meet the current needs. Thank you. Yes, you want to add anything to it? I know there's some uh, intellectual property protections yeah, as well. Yeah, I mean, there, there's uh, intellectual uh, uh, property protections. There's customs facilitation uh, changes, uh, e-commerce. Uh, you know, a lot of things that were not around in the 1990s have changed. Uh, and, and so basically, I mean, look, I know they call it it's another name, but it's still NAFTA 2.0. I think 95% of it is still the same uh, itself. If I had it my way, I wish we would have stayed with TPP because I used to give speeches that we could have a NAFTA 2.0 without going into this very sensitive political situation that we're facing right now. And when we got out of TPP, what happened? Uh, the only one that was very happy about this was China because we left about 40 or 50% of the whole world's, the world's market to China. And when we've gone to Vietnam and other countries, they said, well, the U.S. has forgotten about us. And I thought it was more the military and other areas. You know what it was? TPP, uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. And this is why we just gotta make sure that we look outwards, uh, and this trade agreement is so important. And this is why the Senator and I are doing everything we can to make sure that we pass this trade agreement because imagine the three countries, uh, Canada, Mexico, and the U.S. Uh, imagine what we can do, uh, uh, you know, we, what we've been doing, and especially on the energy. I mean, if Texas was a separate country, or if it comes to oil and gas, we would be number three, number four in the whole, in the whole, in the whole world if we were a separate country. I know some of us still think that. Uh, but the other thing is on the energy part, the senator's absolutely correct. We have a surplus, about $8 billion uh, with Mexico when it comes to energy. 60% of the natural gas that we export is over there. A couple of weeks ago, we told our friends, the Mexicans, hey, we gotta pass NAFTA, but you gotta respect those, uh, those contracts. Remember the, uh, the, the pipelines? 
Uh, they said, well, we're going to try to work it. The president will make an announcement in one week to two weeks. Sure and a half, a week and a half later, they worked out the, uh, the, the Sempra uh, pipelines and other ones. I mean, we got to respect contracts, and I think the best way of doing this is to have the NAFTA 2.0 or the U.S.-Mexico-Canada uh, trade agreement uh, put together. Well, Henry, don't call it NAFTA 2.0 around President Trump. Yeah, I know, I know. That's why I'm saying that. <laughs> but I think you agree with Henry on these, um, the TPP. I mean, the one thing America has that China does not have is friends and trading partners. And, uh, you know, China is being incredibly arrogant and aggressive, not only in places like the South China Sea, trying to encumber um, you know, commerce, uh, but obviously they're aggressively stealing our intellectual property, and, and they don't play by the same rules. But I think that's a missed opportunity, and I hope that uh, we'll have a chance to revisit that uh, the TPP, because that's, that's the best thing to provide not only assistance to our friends and allies, but also to contain uh, a China that's on the march. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you for those, the, answering those questions. Those are the ones I have, and we have two as well from our audience, so we're not going to let you go just yet. Uh, these are questions that were submitted, and we'd like for both of you to comment on it. Richard Cortez. No, Richard no, Cortez's no, name. Nobody Cortez. put their names on it. Um, these, these are true false. But right? these are these are the true and false <laughs> questions we have. Yeah, I think they're they're soft false for you. Uh, but uh, what efforts have been made through your office to increase capacity in northbound lanes to accommodate ever increasing cargo traffic from Mexico? into the Rio Grande Valley for ports located in the Rio Grande Valley. And I know you touched on that somewhat, but uh, let me let you answer that question specifically. Senator? Well, Henry alluded to the pilot program that he and I passed that facilitated the more public-private partnerships, where we know the federal government alone wasn't going to be stepping up or not to the extent we, they needed, we needed them to. So we needed a way to leverage local communities and others to and these public-private partnerships to improve the ports of entry to help hire more uh, staff uh, to move to move commerce uh, along. And as he pointed out, that's now part of the permanent law, and uh, that's being used not only at the land-based ports, as I understand, Henry, but also at, at seaports and airports around around the country. Something uh, something long overdue. But I think the, uh, the the highway bill reauthorization will be another opportunity uh, to try to improve the infrastructure. Those were highlights from a forum on the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement that was held at the FAR Event Center, and that's what it sounded like.